0: So, very good. Always nice to chant the Buddha's words on loving kindness and the recollections on the Buddha, Dhamma, and the Sangha. Because they can be a source of um, inspiration for us and uh, also to bring up faith for us. And that's the importance of the recollection of the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha, that it really develops that energy of inspiration. And faith, and then brings up joy from that, which is a theme that I have been talking about for, <laughs> for quite a while, at least for the last two months, and again we 'll be uh, continuing with this theme that we need joy in our lives and in our practices practice of the path, because it brings up moisture, it brings up warmth, warmth to the path. sometimes people think Buddhism is a pretty dry affair, you know emotionless, you know these uh, uh, these uh, Beings without real passion, without real drive, but of course, the Buddha's teachings all about emotions, positive emotions, we all know too well the negative emotions. And these are what actually enable us to develop the energy to practice the path, very, very important for us. they are the energy source. And uh, so this is something that I like to emphasise. You know, because often people have this idea of Buddhism as being pretty dry intellectual and all that. But of course, our lives and the lives of beings that become enlightened are powered by the emotions. And this is where the energy comes from. And this inspiration and joy is so important in the path to give rise to happiness within. Otherwise, we tend to seek inspiration, joy, happiness outside. And uh, you know, through what we see here, smell and taste and touch, and we were all filming you with that and the other day I was uh, last uh, last week yeah, last week, I was teaching at a drug rehab centre, and that's that's an expression of looking for happiness out there, really, um, a quick fix for the states of our minds, wanting to change the state of our mind because there not enough joy, not enough happiness within the mind itself. So this is very important. And the Buddha taught these recollections. And we did the recollection of the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha, which we chanted in English, so you've got a good idea (laughs) what it's about. And these are called recollections. And this is anusati. And if you know your Pali, sati is mindfulness, isn't it? So it's mindfulness of, or recollection, we call it in English of the Buddha Dhamma and the Sangha. But they're not the only recollections that the Buddha taught. And it's good to realise that when we use the term sati, it doesn't only apply to, in a meditative sense, we usually apply it to The present moment, isn't it? Being mindful of the present moment, letting go of the past and the future. And that's very, very important for the meditation practice. But mindfulness can take different objects, different themes. And one of those themes is the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha. And of course, I taught um, a couple of months ago, I taught also generosity, our recollection of our generosity. And last month, I taught taught recollection of our... uh, ethical living. So these very, very important uh, qualities to develop in the path and also in our lives, generosity and ethical living. And also the the last one of the six main recollections the Buddha taught is the recollection of the devas. This one is not so commonly taught actually or not so commonly discussed. But it's a uh, uh, very—it's—it's part of those six main ones. So it's something I thought we could focus on today. And there's other recollections the Buddha taught. Then not these are the six main ones that he mentions quite a few times. But there are four others that he mentions, and I think everybody knows mindfulness of breathing, isn't it? Mindfulness. So keeping in mind—that's my preferred translation of of sati, keeping in mind, whatever we're keeping in mind, that's the focus of mindfulness. And that is uh, building up that strength of mindfulness. So we can keep in mind the present moment. We can keep in mind the breath, anapanasati. But he also taught mindfulness of the body and a mindfulness of death. Maybe one day I'll do that one. That's a a very confronting one in the West. And also he taught uh, mindfulness or recollection of peace. This is really the ultimate peace. This is like nibbana. So maybe do that one day too. That's a very beautiful one. And he said that all these 10 recollections actually lead all the way. He says that they lead to turning away from uh, our delight, our infatuation with the five senses, the world outside, turning within, developing letting go of craving, letting go of all this wanting associated with that world out there, and then for that craving, that wanting, that desire to cease, and then for peace, and then he says, to direct knowledge, this is understanding, the direct knowledge, insights into the nature of reality, and then to enlightenment, and to nibbana. So all these recollections, lead in that direction even this one on the devas i find that very strange don't you find that strange because it sounds like it's really promoting the idea of going to a deva realm and some people will go like to go for that so i'd like to focus on that and the theme will be how to go to heaven and beyond (laughs) you ought to say beyond because the Buddha is really interested more in beyond, isn't he, really? But he realizes that people are of different natures, different uh, characters, and uh, different capabilities. So they will. some of them will want to go to a heavenly rebirth. So in Buddhist countries, we often say when someone passes away, and you see it in Sri Lanka, this is my main source of information, everywhere, when someone passes away, they have a little... Uh, A4 A4 A four size poster usually on the lamppost anywhere really about the person who's passed away with a picture and everything. You look at the picture and you think do I recognise them? <laughs> Sometimes very hard. They've taken pictures from a long time ago <laughs> when they're very young. So you think no, I don't recognise them at all but they're living in the village really. <laughs> and it always says at the bottom may they attain Nibbana which is in Sinhala is Niwansua uh, at Veva or Lebeve Veva, may you attain Nibbana. And I look at these pictures and I think, I don't think they want to. <laughs> I think that's often the case because what most people want is to come back. Why are they coming back? Because of the attachments. They want to come back to experience all those things and all those people that they liked in their previous life. And so this is the big magnet for us. So for someone to want to attain Nibbāna, they really need to have an understanding of the nature of reality, right view. Someone gave me a book on right view today, Samaditi, and that, that is what will take us to Nibbāna, and that is what the Buddha is interested in. Because human life, any form of life, the Buddha said, is always going to have its drawbacks. It will always have be uh, affected by impermanence always will be because impermanence you can't get things to stay the same nothing lasts and then because of that it will be unsatisfactory we can't get it exactly the way we want it and then also the other aspect that it is a process of body and mind that we mistakenly take for i me and mine all this which causes us a lot of difficulty, a lot of suffering. So anyway, this is digressing from what I was going to say. What are devas? I think most people here will know about devas. I think some people online may be thinking, what is he talking about, deva, a recollection of devas? What's this all about? And, of course, in the West, this is not such a common uh, understanding. Though in Christianity, what do we have? We have angels, angels in Christianity. So it's not that far removed from what the Buddha is talking about. And it's good to reflect if, you know, sometimes people will say, well, I'm not sure if I believe in devas or heavenly beings, celestial beings. But if you remember the chanting we just did, recollection of the Buddha, what did it say? He is a teacher of gods and humans, devas and humans. It says devas, actually, in there, and humans. That's another translation for devas is gods. But I don't really like that, actually. I think that uh, uh, it's not something that I, I resonates with me, you know, call them gods. And uh, deva actually literally means a radiant one or a bright one or a shining one. And it's always associated with light, And, of course, it's very close to... I saw this in the dictionary, actually. It says very close to Deus. And if people know what Deus in Latin means, it means God, actually. So it's... uh, But these beings are celestial beings, heavenly beings. And they are very, um, very beautiful beings because they have mind-made bodies and not um, bodies made of flesh and blood, not material bodies like ours which have many, many problems associated <laughs> with being material. And some of these devas, where where do they live? They live, some of them live on earth, and you have these earth devas, you call them, living in trees and living on in mountains and things like that. And in India at the time of the Buddha, and still is today, people have shrines at these great trees, trees that they associate, you know, really usually majestic trees with devas living in them, that's the idea. And they come and make offerings to these trees. And the same with some of these mountains. And you may have heard of Mount uh, Kailash Kailash, in, uh, um, in India near Tibet. This is a very uh, sacred mountain for many people, Hindus, I think, and Buddhists. And they walk around it, quite some undertaking. <laughs> Um, so the devas can be on the earth, but they can be in in the sky or space. This is how they're described. And usually, uh, for most of us, they're invisible to the eye. But some people do see devas. Some people can see these beings, usually as sort of bright lights. Um, and... Uh, you, The people that can usually see devas have usually got still minds. This is minds with samadhi, um, like the Buddha, like um, great meditators. Not all of them, of course, can see these beings. And some um, practitioners, you know, like the Buddha and like uh, some of the other of his disciples could travel to these worlds, could travel to these different dimensions which are really much, pretty much uh, an aspect of the mind, really. Because in Buddhism, rebirth is always about the state of the mind that uh, we have developed through our actions of body speech and mind. So... And not only this is... I think actually it's quite an interesting subject, isn't it, Davis? You know, people are sort of interested it. some people want to dismiss it. But it is actually quite... As I was focusing on this, I realised, yeah, there is quite an important sort of subject because particularly for us in the materialistic world, like in the West, the idea of other beings, um, you know, is just sort of remote. We find it hard to believe and, you know, this is why I'm often very happy when people have ghost experiences because it really suggests that, oh, yeah, there are other dimensions of life going on. You know, that's a ghost, for instance, quite close to our experience, our lives, really. And uh, it, so it opens the mind up to that, as does when people you hear about near-death experiences where people almost pass away and then come back. And they realize, yeah, there's another dimension. And so this opens up the world to us in a, a very important way and opens up the, more of the perspective of what the Buddha experienced and taught. So this is uh, something that this recollection of the devas can help us with. And also, they have immensely long lifespans immensely long, much, much longer than ours. And there are stories where a person passed away as a Deva, was born as a human being, and returned to the Deva realm in the afternoon, the same day in that Deva realm. And they had lived to about 80 or something like that. So it just shows you the time span for these beings is very, very great. And also uh, they, because of that, They say the devas can think that they live forever. And, of course, in many religions, the idea of heaven, isn't it? Is it like a a permanent, a forever experience? And, of course, the Buddha uh, taught the devas, no, (laughs) this is a temporary experience. You will pass away from this life and then take another life. you continue in this journey through samsara until... One understands the teachings and then finds the exit. But not many uh, teachings actually show the exit from uh, samsara. And so they, beings continue on in samsara. In a heavenly existence, great, great while that last. But if you're reborn and as a human being after being a Deva, wow, it must be so, so much suffering. And I think each and every one of us has met people who you think they're very ethereal, <laughs> they sort of come from another place. You know, they're very... And that's where I often think of some people as have been coming from a Deva life. And also that uh, uh, sometimes you see it when, uh, for instance, I go on arms round in uh, Thailand and in Sri Lanka, and you see this incredible energy in the eyes, brightness in the eyes, twinkle in the eyes, and I think, wow, a bit like a Deva. <laughs> so these worlds, as you've gathered are very, very pleasant and enjoyable. Nevertheless, some of these devas have seen the Dhamma. And uh, the Buddha mentions that the king of the devas, Saka, had seen the Dhamma. He was a stream enterer. But obviously most of them are quite enjoying their experience there and therefore (laughs) probably not focusing on the teachings very much. And the important thing is that most of these deva realms are based on the five senses even though they don't have a body, they have the five senses. And they're not hampered by material, the materiality of our world. So this experience of the five senses, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, and touching can be so much more beautiful, exquisite, and have less um, drawbacks uh, than our human experience. But and I think this is the, I can see people interested in this. <laughs> this is the interesting thing. Devas are uh, often they're sort of powerful beings, uh, beings that have got, uh, are able to benefit human beings, uh, help human beings, and protect human beings. And this is the aspect that really draws people um, because they, they, uh, um, they want some sort of assistance, some sort of help in their lives. And it's very much like the idea of guardian angels. You heard of guardian angels? And I think even in New Age they have this idea of uh, guardian beings that uh, look after us in difficult situations. And I think many people have had experiences where unusual things have happened. That that you know can't account for, and will think of you know something like a deva, a heavenly being, some some being that intervened. And I, one of the stories I quite like, and I'm just trying to remember it from, when Ajahn Chah, famous uh, Thai meditation teacher, great meditation teacher, was establishing his founding his monastery in northeast Thailand. It was near his home village. And This is Wat Pong? And they, the first night, evidently, they were uh, get gathering for chanting and, uh, you know, to dedicate the monastery. And this bright light went from one end of the monastery to the other end of the monastery. And then from one side to the other side, more or less the, exactly the, uh, the, the property that was the monastery. And all the, uh, the lay people that were there, they were very excited. (laughs) And they're all saying, oh, Davis, Davis, Davis. Ajahn Chah, what is this? What is this? And he said, it's not sure. (laughs) Because our explanation of these events, or whatever we experience, can be quite faulty, actually. But I think that was good, because he wasn't putting a lot of emphasis on that. You know, so that uh, people, uh, as as people in Buddhist countries often do these days, if they, you know, the, how many people here have seen these um, photos with orbs of light and everything? And people get very taken up with that. Used to be quite a thing a few years ago. It only seems to have happened since digital cameras came, came, came into existence. I've got my doubts. But it may well be that there's something catching something, who knows? <laughs> but people like it. And when we chant too, the Sri Lankans will know this Akasata, Chabumata, Deva Naga, Mahindika, Punyang Tang Anumoidithwa, Sasanang, etc. And it's calling on the, these beings of the earth and the sky, great beings, great powerful beings, to help uh, protect, in this case, protect the the teachings of the Buddha. And the Buddha mentions it in the Ratana Sutta, too, to encourage the devas to protect human beings. So in Buddhist countries, you often have shrines to the devas. And in Sri Lanka, I know Sri Lanka more than Thailand and Burma. They do. They have these devalias, and they're for the the devas. And people go there. Very interesting process. What they do is they go to the Buddhist section of that shrine, make merit, do something good, make an offering, and then dedicate the merit that they've made from that at the Devalia, at the Deva shrine, to, to give to the Devas. And the most famous place? Katragama in Sri Lanka. Very <laughs> really interesting. I know I heard a story that uh, Bhante Ji, Bhante Gunaratana, he went to Sri Lanka one time with a group of pilgrims, pilgrims in a bus and they went, wanted to go to Katragama, this Devalia, this Deva shrine. He refused to get out of the bus. <laughs> Obviously, he. And, and some Buddhists in Sri Lanka are like that too. They say, no, that's not Buddhism. <laughs> but people go there and they ask for favours, don't they? And, uh, and uh, they often say, well, if if this happens, I will give this, or I'll do that and some of the some of the things very um very uh, wholesome sorts of things to do, so it's not not entirely without this good aspect I think, and of course, as i mentioned this is this is important uh, as part of the realms of existence that the Buddha talks about, and this is 30, there are 31 realms, so this is quite a lot. I won't go into the realms of existence, otherwise we'll be here till tea time, <laughs> or lunchtime, talking about the different realms of existence. So, But if you think that these realms of existence sound very remote, a lot of the states of mind that are experienced in those realms can be experienced by human beings in this life you know often people they have incredibly negative states of mind maybe incredibly angry and we would call that like a hell like emotion and and this gives us a taste of these different realms of existence the same you know people can have a lot of loving kindness a lot of metta a lot of compassion and they just feel like they're almost like a heavenly being. They're so positive and so uh, so uh, uplifting, actually. So this is where, actually, we can get a taste of these states if you find it difficult to believe that there are these other dimensions uh, around. And, of course, if we want to develop these uh, heavenly abidings, this is what we chanted this morning, um, that... Uh, the, the, from the Meta sutta, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. This is a heavenly existence while we have that metta. So we get a taste of it. And of course, you know, the deep meditations, and these are like the jhanas when the mind is totally still, totally joyful, absorbed in joy and bliss and one-pointed these are heavenly states for sure and the, actually the Buddha actually calls them uh, a taste of Nibbana the taste of enlightenment they're not, they're not enlightenment because they're not permanent, people will come out of them and they will finish so this is an um, uh, important part of the of, of uh, how we can experience these emotions and it's important to realise these devas too, don't you may think that devas or angels or whatever you like to call them, heavenly beings, are totally pure, but they're not. They still have defilements. And I remember one very funny story, actually, from a monk from Thailand, Ajahn Plian, when he came to Ajahn Brahm's monastery, telling this story about... And he was reputed to have psychic powers, travelling to a heavenly realm where his mum was... <laughs> And he was really amazed because his mum was a bit upset and he thought, well, what's going on? And he asked her and she said, oh, all the other devas, they've got bigger mansions, these ma- mind-made mansions, you know, houses mm-hmm. that they live in than I have and I want to take a human rebirth so I can make more merit and get a bigger mansion. <laughs> I thought, wow, isn't that just like human beings? No, they're not pure, except for the Brahma beings, of course. These are the beings above the ordinary devas. They are based, their experience of life is based on the four jhanas. So their minds are very pure while they're in that state, because to enter jhana, you have to give up this uh, desire, you have to give up ill will, and just have a very pure mind. So, this is, uh, but this is, a, these are very high beings based on these very deep states of meditation. So, how do we practice the recollection of the Dev? I think everybody's really, really interested now. <laughs> how do I get there? <laughs> I like, anyway, I'll mention that later. But uh, there is this uh, recollection of the Dev, and this is how the Buddha taught it. And it was asked by Mahanama, his cousin. He asked him, uh, he asked the Buddha, he said, uh, we, we have various engagements. How should we dwell, a blessed one? It sounds like he's talking about states of mind that they dwell in, actually. He says, Bhante, with all our various engagements, how should we dwell? And then the Buddha teaches the rec- recollection of the Buddha Dhamma Sangha, a recollection of virtue, generosity, and now the Devas. And this Mahanama, he... he Buddha taught these to him on a number of occasions it seems and he seems to have had quite a few problems I think. They say he was a stream injurer but one time he came to the Buddha and said you know I still have the uh, three root defilements of uh, we say greed, hatred and delusion, selfish desire, aversion and delusion or confusion. How can I overcome them? And the Buddha says deep meditations, the jhanas, you can abandon them temporarily. So he seems to have had his fair share of problems and he seemed to need this encouragement and uplift that these recollections are aimed at. And you'll see from the description of the Buddha gives where they lead, they lead to samadhi, the mind coming together. And uh, he says to uh, Mahanama, you should recollect the deities thus. There are devas ruled by the four great kings, the Tauva Tinksa devas, Yama devas, Tusita devas, devas who delight in creation, devas who control what is created by others, devas of the Brahma company, and devas still higher than that. And so these are all Deva realms within uh, the Buddhist cosmology. You don't have to be too concerned with with the uh, with them. It's obviously a, like a hierarchy. It's getting higher and higher, and the the length of their lives will be getting greater, and also the, the degree of power uh, is also increasing. So this is um, this is the description of what the devas the devas worlds, and um, and then the Buddha continues. There exists, and this is how he says that uh, um, the the, uh, Mahanama should think, there exists in me, too, such faith as those devas possessed, because of which they passed away here, they were reborn there. There exists in me such virtuous behavior. There exists in me such learning, such generosity, such wisdom as those devas possessed, because of which, when they passed away here, they were born there. And, of course, very interesting with that description. So this is talking about five core qualities which are um, invaluable for the path, the whole path. And, of course, this faith, this virtue, this learning, this generosity and this wisdom, they can take us to the end of the path as well. So these are qualities. the The point of this is, uh, do we? How much of them do we need? <laughs> this is what everybody says. Well, how much do you need? It's like uh, yes. It's like uh, Ajahn Shah was asked. Well, you know, how much samadhi do you need? How much one pointedness of mind do you need to develop wisdom, to develop insight? And his answer: enough. <laughs> That's wise, isn't it? Because it's going to vary with each of us. So. Any of these, it sounds like, will take us there. I don't think, uh, from the reading of it, uh, that we. I don't think we need all of them. But if we have all of them in some degree, that would be obviously bonus, <laughs> bonus, definitely. So, and uh, in other places, the Buddha mentions that uh, the, the vital uh, uh, thing that we need for. Um, being reborn as a Deva is our virtue, actually, that ethical living, how we've lived through our actions of body, speech, and mind. And this is what is the most important thing. If we've developed that, then uh, we, we are assured, more assured of a heavenly rebirth. So it's good news. It, it means that anyone from any background whether they believe in Buddhism, whether they're a Christian, whether they don't believe in any religion, as long as they're a good person in their, through their actions of body, speech and mind, they can take rebirth in a heavenly realm. It's not exclusive. <laughs> it's not a only Buddhists here, thanks, or only Christians here, thanks. Any good person. So this is very good. And I like, uh, there's a book that some of you may have seen. It's quite old now. so, And it's called, the title is Anyone Can Go to Heaven. Great title. <laughs> And then the subtitle just be good, <laughs> and I think that's a very good, uh, a very good reminder. You know, this is what we need: this quality of, of goodness through our actions of body, speech, and mind. Very important. And so, um, then the Buddha continues: when a noble disciple recollects the faith, virtue, uh, the f- Recollects the faith, virtuous behaviour, learning, generosity, and wisdom in themselves and in those devas. On that occasion, their mind is not obsessed by lust, hatred, or delusion, the three root defilements. There's lots of branches off those three, (laughs) many subdivisions. On that occasion, their mind is simply straight, based on the devas. It's not distorted by the defilements. This is what distorts them greed, hatred, and delusion. They shape what we see. They, they, they bend the mind. And then, so in this case, the mind is free of those negative, defi- those defilements, and so it's straight. A noble disciple whose mind is straight gains inspiration in the meaning, gains inspiration in the Dhamma, gains joy connected with the Dhamma. And you can see this causal process. The whole of the Buddha's teachings about causal processes, not a self, (laughs) I'm doing this, I'm doing that. It's a process that you start in the mind and to bring up this inspiration, bring up this joy and then uh, connected with the Dhamma. This is an energy source for applying the mind and so it's, it's what uh, fuels faith. or we, Some people are not keen on the word faith. I don't mind it, actually. Confidence or conviction, it's an, uh, it's a, it's an emotion that is very, very important because it motivates us. What we have confidence in, what we have faith in, we will follow, we will do, we'll get into it. If we don't have any faith or confidence or conviction about something, we won't do it. <laughs> basically. And then the Buddha continues, and when uh, uh, one is joyful, having um, experienced the joy connected with the Dhamma, uh, then rapture arises. So this is a very intense form of uh, like joy that some meditators experience like waves of energy through the body. It can be tingling over the body. There can be very many manifestations. But it's fairly obvious. Even though it feels very bodily, it's coming from the mind. (laughs) It must be. So because these are not experienced usually every every day. It's while you're meditating, this comes up. And from one who has a rapturous mind, the body becomes tranquil. And this is the body becomes very peaceful. The mind becomes very peaceful. And sometimes people say the body, um, uh, they experience it as the body disappearing completely. So this and this can actually, um, which gives rise to happiness or pleasure. Because often, some, two possibilities, when a, a meditator, they feel their bodies disappeared. Or sometimes they say, my hands disappeared. They get scared. Some people get excited. Of course, both of those will, will stop the meditation process developing. But um, when the body disappears, it's like letting go of a heavy, heavy burden. Like people who have these out-of-body experiences, they usually complain when they come back. They say, "Oh, it was so heavy when I got into this body again." We're so used to it we don't notice, except when we get old, then we, we really notice that the body is quite, quite a heavy uh, thing to, to, um, you know, be taking with us, dragging us around, and. For one who uh, is tranquil, the body feels pleasure or happiness. For one feeling pleasure, the mind becomes concentrated or becomes, comes together, comes together, one-pointed. Ajahn Brahm uses stillness. And, of course, this is, the stillness is a very, very joyful, um, uh, 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 blissful experience in itself. But the point of it is, In the process of becoming one-pointed, we have let go of all the negative stuff. So the mind is very pure. We've let go of the five-sense world for a short time if it's going into jhana, this deep meditation. And so the mind, when it comes out of that experience, is really ready to see things differently. It's not going to be distorted by you know, greed, hatred and delusion, all the other defilements, all the hindrances to meditation and life. It will have this purity, this steadiness, and it will have enormous focus, which can lead to the breakthrough, to insight. So it's a very important state to have to some degree. There's always a great debate. How much samadhi do you need, like I mentioned <laughs> enough? And and it says, uh, the Buddha continues, Mahanama, you should develop this recollection of the deities while walking, standing, sitting, and lying down. Very interesting, isn't it? It's twenty-four-seven, and uh, particularly if you, if the, it became very, um, very, very peaceful. One would have to sit down because if, if one, uh, the mind comes together, you lose. Um, Awareness of the five senses, well, who knows what could happen? You walk into a tree, body could. So I think as the, the, the meditation is developing, one would tend to, st- to sit down, have a very steady posture, somewhere, something that we could pl- uh, put the body in a, a posture where it can experience deeper and deeper states of um, this uh, joy and bliss. And this is a very interesting thing. He says, and I think this is very relevant to everyone, particularly to the lay community, you should develop while engaged in work. I don't think you can go right to samadhi while you're working, but you can certainly bring up joy in the mind. And while living at home in a house full of children, now that sound, sounds very homely, doesn't it? So that's quite amazing. So do you think that the Buddha is actually encouraging Mahanama to take a deva rebirth, to, to be reborn as a heavenly being? Sounds like it a bit, doesn't it? And I don't think he is. But the, the Buddha, as I mentioned, rec- recognized that many people have different ca- capabilities, and of course that will depend very largely on their understanding well, the Buddha's teaching for sure, and their attachments and their defilements. You know, if they understand the nature of reality, which is what the Buddha's teaching is pointing at, um, they uh, will not... Would not seek to be reborn as a deva or wish to be, but it's important. The Buddha gave gradual instructions to people, recognizing these differences in people, and he often taught the ten courses of wholesome action and unwholesome action. That's important, and he had these progressive talks where he talked about first of all about generosity, then about uh, and generosity in giving, and about ethical living, uh, morality. And the ease and happiness of heavenly realms, so this is, you know, people will think, oh yeah, this sounds great. (laughs) And then the disadvantages of sensual pleasures and the benefits of renouncing sensual pleasures. So it's taking it towards the the teaching, which they say is the the teaching that's unique to the Buddhas, the Four Noble Truths. (laughs) So it's leading there. But I think some people didn't get that far, <laughs> quite a few people, because he often gave this teaching on the Ten Courses of Wholesome Action, which is really concerned with having a good rebirth, not taking a bad rebirth. So um this is, and of course he often mentions, uh, he mentions, I think it's in the, uh, the Nikaya, where he's talking about the way to Brahma, and he's teaching the way to Brahma to, I think, Brahmins, uh, But he says that to be reborn in a Brahma realm, which is pretty high, is inferior. It's the lesser. It's not uh, like to be compared to um, attaining Nibbana, finishing with samsara. And one time he told off, believe it or not, Menvah Sariputta, because it was, I think he was a Brahmin was on his deathbed. And Venipul Sariputta was teaching him the way to a heavenly rebirth, which he did take evidently. And the Buddha said, no, uh, Ven. Sariputta, he could have gone. He could have gone much, much further. He could have understood the Dhamma. This person had the capability. And obviously Venerable Sariputta didn't recognize that. But I'll finish off uh, with a lovely story, very interesting, very curious story for me anyway. Do you know the story of Nanda, Venerable Nanda? Venerable Nanda was the uh, half-brother of the Buddha. So his mother, Venerable Nanda's mother, Mahapajapati, she was the Buddha's foster mother. She brought him up. And she, in fact, became the first bhikkhuni you look at the buddha's family nearly so many of them became monks and nuns actually and so many of them became enlightened which is incredible anyway this is the uh, st- his his half uh, uh, brother half-brother. and this this story happened when he was about his ananda was going to get married to they say the janapadi Kaly- kalyani she's the most beautiful girl in the country and uh, it was uh, evidently the wedding day or getting close to the wedding day and they invited the Buddha for lunch, for the meal, for the lunch dana, like we have here. And, and when that finished, the Buddha got up and he left his bowl there at the, uh, that, where he was eating. And so Nanda, being uh, you know his brother, half-brother, he took the bowl and followed after the Buddha. And he followed him all the way to the monastery. And somehow... The Buddha persuaded him to ordain, and he did. But can you imagine, on your wedding day, this must be pretty poor, the bride standing there thinking, where is he? (laughs) Where is he? And uh, so he ordained, but as you can well imagine, he was not happy as a monk. Why? He was always thinking of his bride, and there's a little description where he said he remembered her um, moving a hair aside, looking, looking back at him. <laughs> this is what he remembered of her. And then the Buddha. And this is a very interesting development. He took uh, his half brother Nanda to the heavenly. He's venerable by this time. Uh, to a heavenly world, the Tavatimsa. This is the heaven of the 33s, And he showed him all the, uh, the heavenly uh, uh, experience of joy and happiness there. But particularly the heavenly nymphs and, and uh, so uh, Nanda was with the Buddha and looking at all these nymphs and he, and he said, Buddha said, Nanda, how do these nymphs compare with the, your intended bride? And he said, oh, no comparison at all. These are far, far more beautiful. And he says, well, Buddha, this is the unusual thing. If you, you know the Buddha's teaching, it's very odd to hear this. And he says, then... Nanda, enjoy the holy life as a monk, enjoy it and I guarantee you're obtaining 500 nymphs with dove's feet, I don't know what this dove's feet look like, <laughs> sounds a bit curious but anyway, must have been looking good there and then of course he, he brought Nanda back from this uh, heavenly realm the Talva Tinksa the, the uh, heaven of the 33 and brought him back to the Jetawana where they were and of course, all the monks got to know about this. <laughs> and they were really, they were, you know, obviously, I think, laughing at him and deriding him, you know, criticizing him. He's practicing for 500 nymphs, you know, this sort of thing. And so he became rather embarrassed. And, you know, because it was just so. And anyway, he decided he would uh, go off and practice alone. And he did. And he became an arahant, fully enlightened. So that's quite amazing. But it's a very strange story that the Buddha would actually promise his half-brother, you know, these 500 nymphs. I think it's just just a weird story for me. But that's what they say. So it's a good story, though, isn't it? So anyway, so now I thought just uh, maybe a few minutes, because this is a recollection. So we could just do a short recollection for ourselves uh, and see how it works or not. Maybe some of you will go to heaven <laughs> during the recollection, if not later. So we can just close the eyes and make come into the present moment. Be mindful of the present moment. And let go of the past and future, all that talking. And make the body, um, adjust the body to be comfortable and to scan the body from the top of the head to the toes just to make it relaxed, easy, with this warm, kind attention. So we are comfortable here in the present moment with a relaxed body, balanced body. And we can bring to mind any of these good qualities that are mentioned in the recollection, faith, or you can call it conviction, confidence, uh, uh, ethical living, learning, learning about, um, in terms of the Buddha's teaching particularly, generosity, giving, and any wisdom or understanding that we feel we've developed. Just to recollect that we have these qualities, not necessarily all of them, and it's not necessary to judge ourselves or be to, to be negative about our shortcomings, but just to focus on those good qualities. And if a feeling comes up from recollecting or being mindful of these qualities that we're aware of in our body, our minds, just to be aware of that feeling. And we can give this feeling to the breath as it comes in and goes out. Maybe it's a feeling coming from appreciating our generosity, our ethical living, our understanding, our faith, or any of the other qualities. Our Breathing it in and breathing it out, feeling with the breath, just the natural flow of the breath. And now we can share whatever we experienced in this short meditation, this feeling, whatever the feeling was, with all everyone here and with all beings everywhere. And we can have the aspiration to develop more of these five qualities Whether it's faith, conviction, confidence, ethical, living, whether it's uh, learning, generosity, or wisdom. Develop more of them, deliberately develop them for our own happiness, well-being, for practicing the noble eightfold path. And now we can slowly come out of meditation and move the body. So let's just hope that gives you a little sampler of what we can do with this recollection of the devas and uh, that uh, these good qualities that enable beings to be born as, as uh, devas, we can develop them, but we can go much further <laughs> we can go to take them all the way to Nirvana. but some people will like the uh, possibility of going to a heavenly rebirth so they will pro- possibly take that option if they have that option the Buddha does actually talk about um, that we can determine our next rebirth but we need I think we need all these five qualities to do that to determine it But um, we can go further with these five qualities, as I say, to the end of the path, which is the point of it. Because any life as a deva will eventually end, even though it's going to be over eons and eons. and a long, long time anyway. It will eventually end. And uh, then they'll take rebirth somewhere else, maybe another deva realm, but more likely lower. (laughs) The higher you go, the easier anywhere else is usually down. (laughs) So this is, this is the point of it. So I'd like to finish there. This is the recollection of the devas, devanusati. As I mentioned, it's a mindfulness of the devas, a recollection of the devas. So may you use it for developing the path, developing that inspiration, developing that joy, developing faith or conviction, confidence, that that makes the, gives uh, our path, the path practice of the path, energy, it gives our lives energy. And gives that sort of warmth and uh, moisture to our practice. So it's not a dry intellectual uh, armchair practice. So thank you very much for listening. And Sadhu, uh, Sadhu, Sadhu, there we are, there we are. So now, time for Q&A if there are any complaints. There's a say, oh, you shouldn't talk about the Davis.
1: <laughs> um. Thank you for the talk, Ajahn. I oh, I'm fine. very fine, much yeah, enjoyed it. it. Yeah, good, good. Um, you mentioned that the ten courses of wholesome action were generally taught for, uh, you know, for the purpose of a heavenly rebirth and all of that.
0: Yeah, for a good rebirth, yeah. Um,
1: would you say they're also a fundamental part of the Eightfold Path as well? The, the ten courses of wholesome action
0: and uh, unwholesome action. Yes, definitely, they're definitely core because it's uh, they're focused as the ten courses are focused on the precepts. So there's just uh, see if I remember them all. First of all, not killing, not stealing, uh, no sexual uh, misconduct. There and then the four of speech. So not lying, and you notice one missing there. <laughs> Not taking alcohol and drugs is not there actually. It's not in the Noble Eightfold Path either, interesting. And uh, the, so there's those three, and then the four of speech are not lying, uh, not divisive speech, not abusive speech, not a gossip, and then there's the three of the mind. So this shows you that seal is not only a body uh, to do with our actions. Or our speech, but it's also the mind, not having really strong states of uh, desire, or they call it, you could call it envy, jealousy, it's uh, called covetousness, covetousness in English, but who uses that word? <laughs> I ask you, who uses that word? I don't think so. <laughs> and, the, and the next one people can relate to not having strong states of ill will in the mind and not having wrong view. Or acting on that wrong view, in particular, these will. If we uh, if we avoid those, then we can take um, a very good rebirth. After that, could even go all the way to the end of the path. So it's uh, these the Buddha taught very, very often, because a lot of a lot of uh, the people he spoke to would pro- possibly they wanted to have good rebirths. But they weren't necessarily uh, practicing Buddhists, I suspect, at that time, And so he's just ensuring that people have good rebirths, so they, they go in that direction. Their next life is not an unfortunate rebirth as an animal or, or lower. You know So uh, this is the point of it. So the course of the 10 courses of wholesome and unwholesome action, very important, very important. I should give a talk about it sometime, because it's very uh, central to the practice. Yeah Thank you for that. Yeah. Yes, there's someone up the back. Ajahn, we might, could we take an online question oh, we've got and one alternate? Yeah, yeah, we have we've alternate. Got Yeah, we've got a little bit of time. Yeah. Thank you, Ajahn. we will be next. Um, the first online question is: I feel that lev- the level of the realm is related only to the level of the mind, not to the shape of the body, mm. because I observed human beings behaving like they have an animal mind. Mm and animals behaving like they have a human mind. I would like to know your opinion on this, Arjan. Absolutely, rebirth's based on um, on the state of mind and of course, you know, the, um, the, the sorts of states of mind we develop in whatever existence we're living in. With the, and you do see it, you know, people who are cultivating very um, um, uh, rough rough states of mind, um, you could say like animals, but some animals are very well behaved. <laughs> some are, and I would say they're heading for a rebirth in that direction because eventually they'll get a body that fits with it. You know, the whole uh, five senses that they get, or the, the the rebirth that they take, the mind, the nama, and the rupa will match that rebirth. So, in other words, in this life, we're developing the states of of consciousness that will take us to our next rebirth. So if we're cultivating uh, 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 very frequently certain states of mind, that's the direction we'll go in, whether it's a a very good state of mind or a lower state of mind. Um, So this is, it is, it's related to the states of mind we're developing in this life and also from past karma too. Um, so, this is going to affect our rebirth. you know the um, as they call it, the stations of consciousness uh, that will be possible for us will depend on what we've developed in this life, particularly and uh, this is what the Buddha's teaching is about developing good qualities in the mind, so then you know we can take either a better rebirth or no rebirth <laughs> if we 've really gone all the way. So that's, uh, yeah, I agree with you totally. And some animals, very fine qualities. You can, yeah. So thank you very much for that online question. A good observation, I think. Oh, there's the lady at the back too. Oh. Yeah,
2: Can I say? Yes. I can, yes. Uh, yes. Yes. Yes, Dr. undoubtedly, uh, be born in a he- heavenly realm is uh, absolutely comfortable than suffering in the human realm. Absolutely. However, yeah. Buddha says... Mm. To be born as a human being Mm. is extremely rare.
0: Mm. Yes, of course.
2: And also Buddha says Mm. that to be born as human being is uh, extremely lucky. And you have to do a lot of merit to be born as human being. That is because in that realm only that we can get rid of our cankers or our defilements, Mm. clays or whatever you you have. That are the things that we, uh, we are mm-hmm. kept in the cycle of birth and rebirth and yeah. death and rebirth. Mm-hmm. It's an cycle. So I think um, although we can aspire to be born in heaven realms, it, the, for us, I think the best thing is to make use of our life as a human being, mm-hmm. to develop the wisdom and get rid of all the cankers mm-hmm. we are born with, mm-hmm. all the defilements, mm-hmm. and to practice to mm. not to be born in the cycle of birth and rebirth. Yeah. And also Buddha says, we don't know when the death is coming. Mm. It is so uncertain. Mm. Yeah. And please do it straight away and keep doing it. Because otherwise, you have wasted your time. Mm. You have wasted your birth as a human being. being yeah. So I'm trying to say the emphasis that mm. we are lucky. We have to mm. make use of our luck. And this is opportunity to get into get rid of all the defilements leading towards nibbana
0: yes exactly and you, I would pass on to the lady there just to make the comment too that the human realm is a realm where we are uh, not in so much suffering that we can't contemplate we can't practice but we're not in such happy happy situa- such pleasant situations like the devas are so it's got that balance which means that we um, we will have a lot more incentive. What uh, p- uh, motivates us to practice is re- really being our dukkha, our suffering, our sense of unsatisfactoriness. That gets us going. And uh, if you live in a heavenly realm, of course, that's much, much less. <laughs> but but there were beings that uh, heavenly beings. They say that um, devas that uh, have achieved states of enlightenment. But it must be much harder in those sorts of realms, actually, much harder. Because it's so pleasant. I mean, you know, why would you, know, you just you know, enjoy I, That's what you would imagine many of the devas are doing. So while it lasts. Yes, what was your question? Thank thought,
1: you. Thank you very much for such an eloquent description. And Oh. Here we are. Is it on? I'm on. Okay. I hope I'm not too loud now. Thank you so much for such an eloquent description of the heavenly and realm and, and the nature of devas. Mm. There are a couple of points um, mm. in the stories and the examples you gave me that I felt felt a little bit uh, intrigued and perplexed by, mm. one of which was that, uh, I agree with you, rather a strange story about the nymphs, yes. 500 nymphs. And yeah. I hope in a very ecumenical way, it put me in mind of the 99 virgins that some... Oh, other uh, religions, uh, yes, um, yes, isn't it? This is bigger, So I, I wondered if you could perhaps expand on that because I was thinking, does that apply, um, are nymphs asexual to men and women have nymphs? And what are nymphs? Are they, yeah, are they exactly. not beings? What, are uh, what, always, what always bothered me about the 99 virgins is, Who are these women and and are they not important? Yeah. So who are these nymphs and and therefore just in terms of the five hindrances, for example, sensuous desire, then, um, gosh, it must be hard with 500 nymphs flocking around you to overcome that and get into either a jhana state or other state towards enlightenment. (laughs) So if you could... I know it's a technicality, but you're going into this area, so I thought, yeah. good, I've never heard that before. I'd love to hear more about it.
0: Well, I, I think if you, when you realise it's a, a mind-made experience, it, the nymphs will probably be either sex. They could be whatever, you know, is and, and uh, probably appear however one finds attractive. And the, the Buddha said some people find young ones very attractive, some find middle-aged, some find old ones very attractive and so forth. So probably it would be a mind-made experience. The sex is not... Not so important. Um, it would it would probably be apply both sides for sure. And um, when you interestingly enough in the Brahma realms, they have no sex. They they, they say they're not uh, either male or female, because in essence the mind isn't necessarily male or female. It's just the, the uh, conditioning <laughs> which goes with uh, our minds that will and having particular bodies that will determine that. So that's that's. Uh, that would be the case, that, you know, for uh, Nanda, that was going to be obviously very attractive, these uh, these 500 nymphs. But it does sound, it's a very strange story. And to have the Buddha promise it is even stranger. You know, I, I find it very odd because it's so out of keeping with the Buddha. I don't know um, if there's something missing in the story, like he's joking. Or, <laughs>
1: or, or maybe the translation. I was translation. only joking.
0: And interestingly enough, you know, at the end, when... Uh, um, venerable ananda becomes uh, arahant he comes to the buddha and he says i released you from the from uh, the promise you made it's very nice and the buddha said no matter i knew in my mind when you became enlightened and also a deva came and told me too and so he already knew it. and he said when i knew that i was released already but he you know it was so he would take his promise very seriously but it is. It can sound a bit se- sexist when you when you hear it hear it in this context. But I think it goes either way. Goes either way. Actually, because it's a mind made experience, the, the uh, form that um, that one perceives as beautiful can vary according according to one's conditioning. Yeah. So that's. Yeah, thank you for that question. Interesting, interesting um, a question about the nature of uh, gender and uh, sexuality and all that. The higher the realms, the less important it gets. And often people will say, in the deep meditation, there's no gender. <laughs> it's just the mind, and that's that's the point. You've left all that behind, left the body behind, and all that conditioning. You're one pointed, and very, very still, very, very blissful and joyful having left all the baggage, whatever it be, behind. So thank you very much for that. And I think that's... Is that it? I think probably... It is um, quarter two, Ajahn, so we might have to stop now. Yeah, all right. We enable time
1: for lunch, Dana. So apologies to the people who have asked questions online. We will keep your questions, save them, and see if we can answer them on another occasion soon.
0: Yeah. People are fascinated by the devas, I think. And <laughs> they're either fascinated thing: think, do I really believe in them, or well, this sort of idea. You know, It's quite an interesting area. So for those who'd like to, we can pay respects to the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha, and finish off. And please, if you found that interesting, that recollection, try it at home and uh, see if it brings up that inspiration and joy.